Hi, Hurricane fans. Joe Zagacki here for UPS. Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. Another episode of the Behind the You podcast, and I don't know why it took us so long to get this one lined up, but I'm glad we did. It'd be good for the people cruising around and hanging out with some downtime over the summer. Offensive line coach Garen Justice joins us. Garen, thank you. No, I'm great to be here, Josh. Always listen to the podcast. You guys do a tremendous job, and I'm happy to be a part of it. All right, so then you know the bar is set very high. <laughs> well, I'm just happy to be a part of it, like I said. So uh, this should be a good time. So we're going to start here. You kind of know how this goes a little bit. We like to tell everybody's backstory and get their journey that puts them at the U. So we'll start here on this one, Garen. You're a West Virginia boy, right? I assume born and raised? Born and raised, yes, sir. So was there any chance you were not going to West Virginia to play football? Very rare. The, the biggest chance was that they never offered me a scholarship. <laughs> and uh, the fact they offered me a scholarship, it kind of made it a slam dunk for me where I was at. The interesting thing about the state of West Virginia is there, there are no professional teams. So as a child growing up in the state, you look at the West Virginia Mountaineers as the professional team, as the apex of athletics. Now you get outside the state, you realize the world's a little bit bigger than that. But in our world growing up, that was it. And so I grew up in a household where my grandfather and my dad and, and everyone's listening or watching to the games on Saturday. So, so a big West Virginia household. And so just so happens that coming up and in high school, my first and only scholarship offer was West Virginia University. So they made it very easy for me. So I didn't have any other options and it was my first. So um, I, I got the offer a week later, I was committed and it was done. And uh, the rest is history. Wait, your first and only? Yeah, I, I was just okay as a recruit coming out of high school. I went to a really, really small school in Southern West Virginia. My graduating high school class is 53 kids. So not like a lot of traffic came through the Appalachian Mountains to come see us. But I was very average in a lot of ways and just fortunate enough that the right opportunity came along. So the, wait, the 53 in the class, that's going to explain another, another part of the story. So how did they find you? I went to football camp there on my rising junior year, and I got I had gotten offered to camp. Actually, it was Coach Nealon's last commitment before he retired, and so I was committed the whole season. And then Coach Nealon announces midseason he's going to retire at the end of the year. Rich Rodriguez takes over. They come in and say, well, basically in short terms, you're in state. This would be politically bad if we dropped you so uh, we're going to keep you on a team and and that was my job to kind of prove to another staff over again that that I was good enough and eventually did as you know I I get prepared for these things I'm glad you brought up the small school and the 53 but regardless pretty nice job being the class valedictorian actually you know what I I was um so don't tell I was me that's not right don't tell me that's not right well it, it was listed always as valedictorian because my spring semester of my last year I made a C in calculus. Ah. I was always all A's and a C, but everything was published at that time. Like when I was when I signed with West Virginia, it's like, oh, he's going to be the valedictorian. Well, they didn't realize I would have senioritis my my spring semester and just kind of cruise. So uh, I should have been, but uh, but I wasn't. How far did you slip? If you weren't the valedictorian, what did you fall from one to two? In a class of fifty three, I fell to like three. So <laughs> so you're fine. You're fine. But uh, so you still made the BCS playoff. I did. Yes, sir. You know, it's funny uh, reading your bio from your different stops. I think when I got on to, I think it was West Virginia's, I, or maybe it was Concord's, the copy and paste, right? So you just became, you were the valedictorian, you are the valedictorian, the end of story. You know what? And, and, and I'm not going to get in the way of a good story. So that's a great honor, dude. Yeah. I'm not going to go to the sports media and be like, you know what? Technically, I was third in my class, not first. So just, just let that go on out. All right. But here's the other thing. You are a four-year letterman on the baseball team? I was. 
So I was a lot better baseball player than football player, in my opinion. My high school baseball jersey was retired at my school, not my football jersey. So uh, I had a good baseball career. And then didn't want to do it? Well, that, that I wasn't that big time. It was my career. My path was always going to be football. It's just I was more of a late bloomer in football than, than in baseball. Now, I know you're 6'8", six, six, right? Yeah, I mean, again, things always get press box, press box, press guide six eight, press box six eight. I'm I'm six six and change. Uh, that's a there's a little stretching going on there. So were you that coming out of high school? Were you that big? I was not. I was actually um, just about around six five, and I probably gained an inch or two when I got to college. So what'd you play in baseball? First base all the way. Yeah, if if I'm pitching, it's a bad day. I got you. Power hitter? Did you crank it? Of course, yeah. You'd have fit right in in the big leagues these days, man. Just guys who can bop homers, man. Yeah, well, well they want guys that can run the 60. And uh, my 60 is never going to be strong. So the big baseball future doesn't rely on guys who run slow and throw mediocre. So you better really, really be able to rake. I got you. And where, so if you were better baseball than football, where did basketball place? Basketball was always my love growing up. And uh, you know what? Just the weight came on. I got a little bit more vertically challenged, and um, it became more of a recreation thing. I played, but I was a guy that would just go in and bang and get a couple rebounds and score a couple putback layups, but that's about it. So if you were a basketball guy from West Virginia, who, who's your guy? Well, I mean, I mean, every, everyone is going to revere the logo. I mean, as far as growing up, and not like I ever really lived to watch him play, but everyone's like, oh, yeah, well, Jerry West is from West Virginia. That's always... That's always the West Virginia people come back is like, well, there's no athletes in West Virginia. You're always like, there's Jerry West and there's Randy Moss. It gets really short really quickly, but it's two pretty, really good ones. There is. All right. So I've got, I've got a little something for you. You okay with this? Let's go. All right. So I have a surprise visitor. Can I let this person enter the, uh, enter the zoom? Oh yeah. Maybe this person will tell us about the weight you put on or the weight you've taken off. Let's see. Let's see if this person will reveal <laughs> themselves to us. Oh, look, look, look who's here. <laughs> look who's here. Yeah. We got to just get her to connect. She doesn't want to show her fit. There we go. There she is. Hi. Are you, are <laughs> you uh, surprised? Yeah. I'm, uh, yeah. I am surprised. When he said her, I was like, it could only be one person. Right. But, um... I, 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 couldn't stall <laughs> long, I couldn't stall long enough because uh, the first time we tried to let you in, you, you didn't make it. So I was like, all right, how are we going to make that transition quickly out of this? Well, there, well, there's no way my mom could figure out Zoom. So I know I had to be Casey. <laughs> all right. So uh, can, first of all, introduce yourself, please, for the audience that won't be watching, but will be listening. Hi, I'm Casey Justice, Garen's wife, and uh, this is pretty much a surprise to him. So, <laughs> and our first interview ever together. Yeah, I feel like you're like the UM Power couple. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I told Casey I wanted to do this like the whole time, but we put this together kind of quick. So I just said, you know what, cameo will do, and we'll we'll work something out for next time. This is perfect. You caught him. He, we got him. He doesn't like to be pranked, you know. So, so Casey, he just said he liked to play basketball, but he put on weight. And it just, it didn't happen for him. So can you paint a picture of, of a young Garen Justice that is uh, filled out a little bit? When I met him, uh, I met him after his playing days. So that we met at a WV football game, which is like funny because, you know, it was God telling us, hey, your life is going to be revolved around football. And I, I wanted to get on the field. And my friend was like, I know who will get us on the field. She called Garen and he got two passes. And, you know, I don't know why I wanted to get on the field, but I did. And he answered all of my dumb questions. I didn't think, you know, the uh, WV won. They beat Pitt that game. And I didn't think the field goal, like, I didn't think they made the field goal at the end. Do you remember this? I do, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, they didn't make it. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> they totally made it. And we exchanged numbers that night. And we literally talked on the phone every day after that. Well, the, oh, Josh, as you would know, being a silent reporter, there is a skill to seeing whether or not the football goes through the uprights on a field goal. You have to watch the near post. And if the ball goes in front of the post, then you know you're probably pretty good. You just have to judge it by the post. But see, he even made me feel good then. Like, look, he's still making <laughs> me feel good, uh, you know, about that uh, snafu. Garrett, it's funny you say that. So before being the sideline reporter, I was uh, was doing like pregame, postgame. And so I would be in the booth during the game. It was one of the wide rights for Joe Zagaki. He had literally had everybody position, or it was either wide right or right left, but he knew how important that was going to be. So like four of us, one was watching the monitor, one's watching the game, so he could nail the call. Cause you don't want to, you don't want to whiff on that one. No, you don't want to be. And he made it. Right. And what? Well, yeah. Or, yeah, or vice no, versa. That, yeah. That's not going to be good. So here's the other thing too. We met at the West Virginia football game after your playing career, but Casey told me, Garen, that in college you guys lived like ten feet away from each other, but never met. 
true story there was a driveway that separated us for two years right yeah i lived in a duplex of apartment and across the driveway was her sorority house and i always would like cut through their backyard and like peek in their windows see if they're eating breakfast but never knew her (laughs) (laughs) we always wish that we could go back and and like you know look at the video of where we were and were we in the same places you know i mean probably most likely you know at least a, a few times It'd be, it'd be neat to, to see because we had mutual friends. But Casey, you're from West Virginia too, right? Yeah. So, but like, did you know of Garen Justice, the starting offensive lineman, captain for the West Virginia no football team? Did you even know of him? I wish I could say I did. I didn't. I, and I was, and I call myself a football fan, but I don't think I like knew the guys, you know, you knew them if you're in class with them and that's about it. Life of a lineman. That's part of it. Yeah, that's right. Unsung heroes. That's <laughs> All right. So so let's circle back. So he, after college, he, he's off doing his GA thing and you're in law school. And then we you go to a, a West Virginia game with your friend and your friend knows Garen. Yes. This is after I graduated law school, after he graduated grad school. We were both like, you know, working and I mean, really just fate. I had just finished my first year as an assistant at Concord. So it was my f- first year, my first full-time job. And, and in Division Two, the season finishes after the first or second week of November. I was able to catch that last home game at West Virginia. And, and that's when we met. So she said it was like from day one, Garen, are you going to sign off on that? We, we haven't stopped talking since, so so yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and look, now right now, how far are you guys away from each other? Are you the same ten feet that that you were in college? <laughs> yeah, he's in my he's in our bedroom, and I'm in the living room. All so. right, <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, we'll get a few more from Casey, and then we'll we'll move back to Garen's story. So we know it's the deal. How long till we get married? Well, we had a long engagement. So we met in what November of 2009, and we got engaged in February of 2011. And then we didn't get married until July of 2012. And so we we like had a long engagement so we could save money. You know, we're both like scrapping by and we wanted to save for our wedding. And then we get to our wedding and the week of. You might have needed, I guess it's a good thing you saved, right? Because I heard you, you might, you needed, you needed some in reserve, apparently. Right, exactly. Friday, the week before our wedding, we had a huge like windstorm that was kind of, we'd never had anything like that. And the whole power went out in a lot of West Virginia, right? West Virginia, Virginia, and North Carolina. It hit, it hit a lot of areas. It's one of those deals where the power goes out and you're like, well, it'll come back in a couple hours. Right. <laughs> and then the next day comes and then the next day comes and you're like, well, I mean, at least they'll have power at where the wedding is because it's like two hours away. No. <laughs> and then <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, um, our freezers that your food for your wedding is connected to. We didn't have a backup power source, so your food kind of went bad as well. And so we can't have your wedding. So who's freaking out more? I mean, me externally. Garen's like very good, you know, not showing. He doesn't get like too high or too low. I think he was just trying to keep me sane. But I mean, were you sweating? I was just trying to put out the fire that was you, um, <laughs> mostly. So my focus was more about making sure that she was okay and more so than the wedding. So what we had, who came up with plan B? Who found the alternate? Who came through for you guys? I mean, me, of course, you know, but I was making all the calls. You know, he was just uh, worried about me. So we found a place. I mean, there was another wedding that had canceled for whatever reason. And um, I think he was like deployed. It wasn't like a bad thing that they didn't get married. We got married and it was a great, great day. And it's a great story now. And everyone said that then it's going to be a great story. And it is now. Yeah, it is now. It was hard then. Yeah, I would not want to be walking in your guys' shoes for that one. (laughs) The rest was smooth sailing, though. I said, everyone says the first year of marriage is hard. But I mean, once we got married, it was all you know roses i have had a couple sources tell me that if there's one thing that garen justice is good at it's karaoke he is the the self-proclaimed karaoke king <laughs> i don't know about self-proclaimed i always say that i have a karaoke voice i don't i don't have a recording voice i have a karaoke voice what's your go-to song garen well it depends what the audience is right now the audience is me your wife and your daughter well if casey would do that with me we'd probably do love shack because that, that one's really fun. It really gets the crowd going. But um, we can go wherever you want to go. Another classic for me is, is a little Jay-Z, Dirt Off Your Shoulder. That one's been good. You could do really any country song. My voice is probably more country. Do some sublime Santeria if you want to. Now, Travis Trickett, who uh, is a friend of yours, someone I know, coaches at West Virginia. You played for his dad. He gave me LFO Summer Girls. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, we got a video of that. Mm-hmm. He is saying TikTok by Kesha once. You know, I, I'm trying. I'm just a 
crowd pleaser. Whatever the crowd <laughs> needs, I'm here to serve. So um, he even sang at two of our friends' weddings. Like performed with the band on one. What, what did you sing? Joker by Steve Miller Band. It's a good time. And what was the other one? Billy Joel. Something from Billy Joel. It was only the good die young. So it was. Yeah, I think so. And then he sang at Travis Trickett's wedding, and you sang. Um, Friends in low you places. Sang Garth Brooks. Yeah, that's what I thought. Mm -hmm. Have you ever watched The Voice? I have, yes. Okay, so you had to imagine you were a fan. Uh, used to be. Uh, after like season 18, I stopped watching, but, but yeah. It was a show in our household. We're all fans of Blake Shelton. I'm not a country guy, but we love Blake's about as cool a dude as you could find. Oh, yeah. He's, as the boys would say, he's a real one. Now, I also heard you're into like Justin Bieber. That, you know what? That was a phase. Bieber's kind of grown though with me. You know, I mean, the, the older I've gotten, the better he's gotten. So I wouldn't turn it off. You're an unashamed boy band fan. You like teen pop, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's really not a genre that Garen doesn't like, I would say. Yeah, my music collection is very eclectic. How do the players feel about that? I mean, it's not like I come into my meetings and I'm like, hey, you want to listen to Justin Bieber today? I, <laughs> or, or, or vice versa. But I do think I catch them off guard when they play something and I'm familiar with it. It's kind of like, whoa, how, how do you know that? But um, I listen to everything. I always say, what makes a good song is when I can feel that you're passionate about the lyrics or the song that you're singing. I think if you express it that way, then that's what makes it a good form of art. All right, so last thing, we're going to let Casey go. I think Juliet has to go to bed. It's going to be a very rough around the edges game with no showmanship other than me asking questions, and we'll see how spot on your, your wife is with a couple of these, and then we're going to get back to business. All right, Karen? Okay. Easy, nothing crazy. All right, Casey, what's his favorite food? Newly tacos, I would say. Is that correct, Garen? I love tacos, yeah. But what'd you say, newly tacos? Newly, because after being on the West Coast and he, you know, has tacos in California. And I mean, tacos always, but I love tacos. A newfound love for them. Right, so are you, yeah. are you a Taco <laughs> Tuesday guy or taco any day of the week? I mean, Tuesday's when it goes down, but I'll take it any day of the week. All right. What's his favorite movie? Shawshank Redemption. She got you? Is that right? Yeah. No, I, I love <laughs> Shawshank Redemption. That's a good choice, by the way. So you're two for two in my book, too. So I'm down with tacos and Shawshank is good. Vacation spot. What's his favorite vacation spot? I would say like with family, you know, with our daughter, Disney, and then otherwise just maybe any beach to relax, not necessarily like one spot. Yeah, she's all over it. I mean, we're, we're good. <laughs> What's his, fa his favorite athlete or who was his favorite athlete? Oh, Le LeBron, LeBron. Am I right there? Yeah, I mean, he, he's up there. I've always been a LeBron fan. But I feel like we might have another contender. I feel like it could be somebody else. Yeah, I mean, you, you got to be talking different sports and stuff. But I am that fan who follows LeBron wherever he goes. So that's very fair. And then what's his favorite moment from his career, Casey? Um, I would say when he was captain of the Sugar Bowl team in 2006. As a player, yes, that, that would 100%. As a coach, you've had so many, so I don't know. He's on this new fad health kick, but what's his favorite flavor of ice cream? Oh, uh, cookies and cream. 100%. Are we, <laughs> are we allowed to dabble, Garen, or are we, uh, we cut it all out? This whole month of recruiting, I've been dabbling a lot. I've been doing more than dabbling. <laughs> but, um, but we've been staying on top of our workout. So we're kind of staying put right now. Casey, anything else you want to leave us with? I don't think so. I think you got it all. All right. Well, thanks for making a cameo. I appreciate you stopping by. Thanks for having me. Yo, it was my pleasure. You are the first wife to make an appearance on the Behind the You podcast. So congratulations. I know. I feel honored. I set the bar really low, though. So we're <laughs> well, he only had 53 in his graduating class. He was the valedictorian, which we now have found out valedictorian, wasn't, which wasn't yeah. even true. He was. It's a, it's a no. myth. It's a it's myth. It's like almost true, right? right? Like it was true at the time true. of something. Yeah, I mean, I, I had the lead in the, with one minute left to go in the fourth quarter, but um, <laughs> I didn't win the game. But. It was true in a time when actually the newspapers went to press. So you know what I mean? Like, you know, but, right. You know, before yeah. the deadline, the next morning, he was still the valedictorian, but on Twitter, he got beat out. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> All right, Casey, go put Juliet to bed. Thank you. And uh, All right, thanks. maybe we embarrassed him a t like a smidge. I don't think he's pretty like deal you know you don't really embarrass him i'm pretty confident who i am so yeah let's go bring it on yeah i need to i need to put up the dance parties that we have with my daughter up on twitter more often so you could send you could send those to me and we might make them we might attach them to the uh, podcast when it I mean, drops I, could, I think they could go viral let's you know? do it i'm down <laughs> all right have a great night thank you hi hurricane fans joe zagaki here for ups 
Your customers want more from your business. You've got to make more happen, whether they're in Miami or on the other side of the world, globally or locally. UPS is building solutions to help businesses give their customers exactly what they want. More made easy. UPS, official logistics company of Miami Athletics. All right, so we got. I got to figure out how to segue out of that, Garen. Yeah, I mean, let's let's just pick up where we left off. Let's keep going. It was a nice surprise, though. Thank you, I appreciate that. But everyone told me you can't. I can't be embarrassed. So we went for an inside look in the in the Justice household. Yeah, you got it. To circle back, better at baseball. We love basketball. Football ended up being the sport. So you're now at, at the school that is the centerpiece of the state at West Virginia. Do you remember your first start? Yeah, I do. So. So this is actually a really good story. So I was always that guy that the coaches never really wanted me or I, I never, like I knew deep down that they took me just because they felt like they had to take me. And um, I know I am better than what they gave me credit for. It was always my goal for myself for personal reasons because I wanted to play at West Virginia, but I also wanted to say, hey, you guys were wrong. It was always my goal to do that. So it was one of those deals where at the beginning of every semester, I would be at the bottom of the depth chart. And it seemed like I would spend the whole semester, whether it's season or spring ball, working my way up to the second team. And it's like, oh, he's there, boom. And then next semester starts, whoop, back on third team. And uh, that cycle just had kind of been going on for the previous three semesters. First semester, I wasn't even in the conversation where I just got there. So I'd finally felt like I was coming into my own. It was my redshirt sophomore year. It was August redshirt sophomore year. And I was playing really, really good football. But our starting right tackle was preseason all Big East, had some honor. I mean, he was a good player. Tim Brown was his name. And it was kind of like, well, we can put our 10th best guy behind our best lineman because we know we don't have to worry about anything there. We'll just keep him there. But I played really, really well. It was the best I'd ever played up until that point in my life. And it was the Wednesday we were opening up with Wisconsin at home. It was that Wednesday. Oh, I want to say 20 minutes left to go in practice. We're in a team period versus our defense. We throw a pass. Tim plants on his outside foot at, at the right tackle position, and he falls to the ground on, on the turf. And it, we were in our indoor at the time, and, and we're on the old Astro turf. He falls down on the turf, and he starts grabbing his calf. And I looked at his calf, and it's like the largest calf cramp you'll ever see. Like the, his muscles flex and his calf so bad. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, like I'm thinking in my head, like, oh, man, I got to take one reps. Tim has a calf cramp. So, so I'm going to have to like work harder and stuff. And then Tim starts like yelling out, like my Achilles, my Achilles. That's going to be more than one rep. <laughs> yeah. So, so what happened was, is on the bottom of his foot, it snapped and it rolled up into his calf, his Achilles head. So it looked like a large calf cramp where that muscle just rolled up his leg. So we were really too late in the week to like make this drastic change, to shuffle things around. I want to interject for one second. Are you saying that and what you said before about the 10th man behind the first man, are you saying that now as a coach looking back on it or are you that's how you thought of it then as a player? Maybe not 10th, but I knew that there were zero worries on the coaching staff end of me coming in and doing anything to mess with Tim. But I, I definitely wasn't six. I, don't, I, I wasn't 10, but I definitely wasn't six. So it was Rick Trickett at this time. To his credit, he looks at me and says, all right, Big Daddy, you're up this weekend. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I barely even played in cleanup snaps the year before. And um, ended up starting that year. And um, that was 2003. That was the game that we almost beat Miami on a Thursday night. Uh, the, the fourth down conversion and, and the field goal to win. So that was my first year playing and, and, and had a good year. But then it kind of cycled back the next year of, oh, Tim's back, back to the bench. So uh, that's another story in itself. But that's how I got my first start. And I remember just being like, you have all, all of those different emotions from uh, I've proved that I could do this to, hey, this has always been my dream to I've made it in some form. And, and it, looking back on it, and even when I, I went on the field, that was a pretty emotional time just to be able to go through that and, and experience those first snaps. Plus, the opponent wasn't too easy. Definitely was not. And, uh, and, and we lost that day. But it was one of those, I walked off the field against a good competition and said, wow, I can do this. And, and you really always believe you can. But there's always doubts. And, and until you do anything like that, like that's when it's real. And that was the moment that became real for me. Does that shape you at all as a coach? 
knowing that you were someone that needed a chance or an opportunity or someone to believe in him, you were that guy. So do you look at your players through a lens like that? Because maybe you shouldn't be so close-minded. Yeah. I, but, but also know if, if you had a full team of me, it's not what you want. So I, I think there's a balance there. I think there's something to having glue guys or guys who make people better around them, guys who are, are smart, who are going to take pride in what to do, and guys who don't make mistakes. And the reason they ultimately don't have success is because they just got beat by the guy across from them. And usually when you talk about the game of football, you don't look back and say, what this guy does is just so steady and so great. It's always, you lose a game because you had a 15-yard penalty. You turned the ball over three times. You didn't get these explosive play. It's all in football. It's all about just removing the bad from what you do. And as a player, that's what I always try to do. I always tried to be the guy that I was going to do everything my coach asked me to do. And if it didn't work, well, that's the coach's fault. That's not my fault. And, and that's something I've always tried to carry on to my players and, and be transparent with them about is guys, I'm going to tell you the best things that I think is going to help us win the game or prepare you to win this game. And you have to trust that I know what to do. And if I'm ever wrong, which I'm going to be, that's my fault as your coach for telling you to do something the wrong way or for telling you this game plan is going to work or this play is going to work. And I think that ups your credibility as a coach when you can go into a room, look guys in the eye and just like, hey, how they may mess up a block or they may mess up assignment. I messed up the way I coached you guys this week or I messed up the way we prepared you guys. And at the end of the day, letting them understand that we are all in this together. We Hopefully we can get it right more than we, we get it wrong. But um, it's a process that we're trying to grow in each and every week. A couple of things in there. You mentioned the word trust, right? If you're going to remove bad, and obviously there's do good and remove bad as a coach or as a player, but as a coach, you play the guys you trust. 100%. And something we talk about all the time in our room currently is you have got to trust me. You've got to trust your teammates. That's going to happen. And, and you see just singling, like, say, a Corey Gaynor. Corey Gaynor may have not had as good of plays sometimes because it felt like he was trying to do too much, whether that was from a lack of trust, whether that was from just him just wanting to win so bad that he was just trying to do everything. But you got to trust your coaching. You have to trust your teammates. That's the first part. The other part of that is, is got to do everything in your power to make sure those guys can develop trust in you. And that's by how you do things every single day. How you are you a guy that misses class? Are you a guy that shows up late? Are you a guy that works hard all the time? I mean, good and bad, but you need to make sure your daily actions continually develop trust in your coaches, develop trust in your teammates. Because the one thing we do at the end of spring, I will have all the offensive linemen rank each other. So now when you're having those meetings, it's I think you fall here on the depth chart and they look at you a certain way and it's like, Oh, yeah. And your teammates also think <laughs> you fall here on the depth chart. So I think when that happens, it's like, hey, not only it's not about just me, it's do the guys who matter, the guys who have to play next to you, do they trust you? And if we can do everything we can to always build that trust, then we're going to be all right. You said you came back, you're, I guess, your redshirt junior year, right? Tim Brown is back. And you said there was a story inside of that. So could you share that? So Rick Trickett, who, who we had referenced to as my offensive line coach. And by the way, real quick, sorry, Rick Trickett, would he get up in front of a room and say, I, I, I screwed up? He would, yes. He would. Okay. All right, we're going to talk about Rick Trickett in a second because anyone that's been around him, he's got a, he's an interesting personality. But tell the story first, and I'll let you talk about your, your coach. It was the same deal. as I had, had a solid year. I mean, for the first year of starting, it was uh, probably was above people's expectations. Went through the whole season, starting right tackle. Went through that spring, starting right tackle. Entering my junior year. It's like, okay, Tim Brown's back. Back to the bench, Justice. How does that get delivered to you? It's just a known fact. <laughs> it's just, they want to practice, you're running with the twos. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and it's, if I were coaching, I would have made the same move. Yeah, just for the fact that Tim was a better football player than I was. And I'm okay with that. I, part of also being a successful at anything is knowing who you are and working those strengths. Uh, so I knew who I was. So I get to that camp. And my redshirt, I'm, again, I'm playing the best ball I've ever played, playing really, really well and having a lot of success and doing a lot of really good things. And, and we're deep in August camp. We have a center who started the year before who was, who was struggling a little bit. Then it became, oh, wow, can this center get it done? Is this, is this the guy we need playing for us? Well, Tim was such an all-around great athlete that it eventually came to a point where it's like, well, we'll just move Tim to center 
we'll slide Garen up to right tackle and we'll roll that way. Of course, Tim was good enough athlete, versatile enough. So it was the very first day I was running with the ones at right tackle. I'm like, man, I've earned my spot back. I'm going to be able to start again. I have a, a young lineman, a young D lineman rolls up on my left knee. And I'm like, I, I can't believe this. So like I'm here, I've earned it. And I know that if I miss, there is absolutely no way I'm going to play my junior year. I'm done. So the way we operated at West Virginia was, is you had your, your blue or white jerseys were for your offense defense. You had a green jersey if you could practice, but you're non-contact. If you had a red jersey on, basically like your medical, like non-contact. But everyone had to dress out. So I show up August practice that morning, that next, the following morning after my injury. Now I'm sore, I'm hurting, all those things. So I'm like, I have to practice. And I walk into my locker and there's a red jersey hanging in my locker. So I'm like, oh, here we go. So I walk out to practice and just my uniform and my shoulder pads only. And, and Rick Trickett looks at me. He was like, how come you don't have a jersey on? And, and there's probably some explicit uh, in, in there. And I'm like, coach, they had a red jersey hanging in my locker. And there's no way I'm wearing that because I have to practice. And, and that was it. Like from that day on, I was Rick Trickett's guy. Because that was everything he stood about. Uh, that was everything he stood for was that. And it hurt. It hurt. And I had an MCL. I had a meniscus, but played the whole year with it. And um, that was kind of like the turning point of me proving Rick Trickett wrong in a lot of ways. And that's the hard part I think about coaching is, is recruiting-wise, everyone always tells you as a coach, coach, he can play for you. He can play for you. Or he's good enough to play at Miami. And Sometimes the guy who's just good enough to play for Miami is not the guy who is best for Miami. You, you always want to try and get the best possible players you can. The bad thing about it is, is you can't judge what is inside of a person. You can't look at a 40 or, or look at a person's body composition and say, that guy's going to be successful, or this guy's going to come in and do everything right and get better and get better and get better. That's the hard part about recruiting because you, you never want to recruit guys who are just good enough to get you beat. So you, you kind of have to find that balance. And um, I could have been either way. I could have been that guy that was just good enough to get you beat. But I think moments like that have been, looking back, big time moments in my life where I was able to take that next step. I was able to grow up. I was able to put myself in a position to have more and more success. So you just brought up something that's extremely interesting, and it goes across life it has any have to do with recruiting right it's it's life relationships hiring people in businesses so as a coach what do you do to minimize a bad pick so to speak or i guess more so what do you do to get inside of the player that you're recruiting to ensure that okay he's six five long arms can move his feet that's one thing but who's the guy where's his mind at where's his heart at how much pride does he have how much does he care yeah i think in recruiting it's it's mostly got to be the people who spend the most time with them does he work hard for the high school coach? <laughs> you know, you have to ask those questions. What What is his family structure like? There are great players that come from the worst situations. and and But you know if they've been pushed or you know if even with their family structure, they continue to have success and thrive. What we try and do is try and get as much evidence from as many people as possible and, and try and make the best judgment we can. But if I knew the best answer for that, then... I wouldn't be coaching football and I would just be selling software that does it. Uh, man, I think Mandy's giving me, I mean, everyone's giving that answer, but it's the interesting thing about people, right? It's, it's the interesting thing about when you're picking people at whatever thing you do, right? You can read the resume, they can sit in front of you in an interview, they might give you the right answers, right? But at the end of the day, how many offensive linemen have you coached that there's some special ones in there and the reason they're special is not because they were the best quote unquote athlete? Yeah, 100%. And I think intelligence is a factor because I always look at it from this. If I'm a guy who has intelligence about me, we're in summer conditioning. The summer conditioning, even though I'm in that those runs, say I'm doing 110s, I know eventually the 110s have to end. I'm smart enough to know that. I'm smart enough to get that picture. Like there's a lift group in 15 minutes. We've got to be done soon. And I think sometimes guys when they get in the world and, and, and they don't have that awareness, they think, 
oh man, these one tens are never going to end. <laughs> and I, I think that sometimes with, with just even your college career, I know that's a microcosm of it, but it's like, Hey, it's just, let's just make this practice as good as we can. And it's going to end. It's going to be hard. And then let's do the next right thing. Let's, let's make sure we do our homework. <laughs> let's make sure we, I don't know, but as far as you know, that in a kid, the more and more you can spend time with them. That's why as coaches, we want to constantly be able to call these kids and check in with their background and talk to their coaches and do home visits and go to their school and talk to their teachers. You just want to get as much information you can and then ultimately try and get the bigger picture because I can tell you that there's guys in, in our room, their strengths and weaknesses. And if do they have that, do they not? And I've also seen guys who, who are a certain way and some change and most change for the better and for the good. And that's why it's important. I think as coaches, we always bring in the right guys to have a culture. So guys will want to shift toward the positive side of that culture. Because uh, if you have a lot of guys doing the right things, then a lot of guys will get a lot better. Speaking of conditioning, your wife told me you took the conditioning test with your offensive lineman. Yeah, me and Coach Slashley went out and ran some 110s with the boys. Did you? Monday morning, yeah. I knew they had 16, so I, I guess um, I think they knew they had 16 as well. But, yeah, get it, didn't pass it. Uh, I wasn't, I wasn't going to show up. I, I told Coach Slashley, I said, let's run on the side of the field. That way, if something bad happens, we can always like kind of ease out and tap out gracefully. So we gave ourselves an out, but it's just like anything you get in it and we're 10 deep of the 16 and you're like, okay, I'm going to make it, but this is going to hurt a little bit. I, I may have to bleed for this to happen. And um, we got in a cold tub today because for that reason, but, um, <laughs> but, but we did it. Did you get a high five? Did you get a Feely loves the 110. So did you get a high five or a fist bump or some words of just good job? Well, I, I don't I don't need those words. I do think he called a couple of the guys who missed out and was like, hey, you do realize like a couple of your coaches who haven't been doing your workouts all summer just came and made this test and you didn't. So thankful for the treadmill mafia that uh, to, to get me prepped for the 110 test and, and get us right. You asked Rhett or Rhett asked you? Wh whose idea was it? So me and Rhett work out together and it's always like a night before text like, hey, what are we doing tomorrow? And we're trying to decide on a time. I was like, well, this whole team's running their 110s tomorrow morning at 545. I think I'm going to go and just check them out, see what they look like, see how they're doing. And Rhett says, let's do that. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to say no because I'm not going to be that guy. But I hate that you said, let's do that. And um, <laughs> so, so we did that. And um, we hit the treadmill today. And Coach Flashley's hamstrings are not thanking him for doing that but uh we're both better off for doing it we've talked about rick trickett here a few times so we need to at least give the audience some sort of framing right on on who he is so miami fans might know him because he coached at florida state under jimbo fisher right you played for him at west virginia when i spent some time up at fsu camps when i was covering high school football people would always talk about coach trickett i guess maybe describe him the type of coach he was why he's unique i know uh, his military background if i'm not mistaken is a, is a part of that and then what it was like playing for him so I guess to paint a picture is, is Rick Trickett is the size of a horse jockey. He's a Marine to the core. Uh, he's a guy who I think it's over 30 years. He's yet to miss a day of working out every single day. So he very much lives a life of discipline, doing things the right way. And, and he expects that naturally everyone would have that discipline and everyone would have that way of life. And again, I'm, I'm totally putting words in his mouth. We haven't had a heart to heart about this, but I, I think he saw the impacts of what the military and what the Marines had on him and how it changed him as a man or into a man that he almost subconsciously wanted to bring that into his players because everyone admires discipline. Everyone admires uniformity, especially in the offensive line position. So he was a guy that you had to address him to yes, sir, no, sir. And still to this day, if he calls me, it's yes, sir, no, sir. You had to be early to what you did. Your expectation was everything better be full speed all the time to your maximum ability. It, it was very technical as far as how we went about our business. And, and, and really, as a coach, like, I mean, of course, you grow, you adapt. It's like he has grown and adapt. I'm sure over, I adapted over the years. But how I go about my day-to-day -day operation, what we do, has his fingerprints all over it but he he was a guy who was very very tough to play for very very demanding but you knew as a player if you made it on the other end you would max out as far as who you could be as a player and, and as a person and uh, as long as you didn't want to kill him or quit in the process you would make it to the other side and you'd be better off for it and 
I guess the most brilliant thing about Coach Trickett was, was he knew who he was. He knew he was hard to play for. He liked that he was hard to play for. If a coach is going to have a 6.30 a.m. meeting, then he's going to have a 6.25 a.m. meeting. He wanted his guys to have it the hardest. But he also knew that would develop a pride within your room as far as how you operated. But to this day, he's always trying to learn new things. He's always staying on top of the game, always trying to learn. And the one thing he told me when I was his graduate assistant coach, he said, you have to understand in coaching, you are not Rick Trickett. Your personality is not Rick Trickett. So whatever you do, do not coach and try and be like me, because if you do, the kids are going to see right through that. So I was always, as his graduate assistant, I was always the guy that was walking behind, putting my arm around and picking up the pieces of, you know, coaches on you and coaching you really, really hard because he thinks you can actually be a really good player. I'm having those conversations and, and he's, he's always coming up and saying, Hey, I'm gonna be hard on Rodney Hudson today or whoever those players were and make sure like, Hey, make sure you talk to that guy after practice, make sure you pick him up because he didn't want those players to see a softer side of him. So I was kind of an extension of him and, and allowed him to continue to be him. And, uh, but even to this day, if I know just trying to move up in the coaching ranks, it's like, Hey coach, do you know so-and-so can you help me get in contact with him? Yeah. How about the interview here? He's the first to call the phone or he's, he, he will call anyone. He'll call anyone till they answer. He'll bug them. Once he is on your side or once you play for it and make it for him, he's your guy for life. And um, couldn't be more thankful for that relationship. And again, when you're playing, there's days where you're like, I, I cannot stand that guy. But once, I, I think it, it kind of flips for most guys later in the career where they're like, you know what? This is who he is. This is what he knows. This is why he's doing it. Ultimately, because he loves and cares for you and wants what's best for you. Look through the garbage. <laughs> look through the cussing. Look through the coaching hard. Find the content because there's a lot of content there, take that content, run with it, and be a better player for it. And, and, and I know Casey had talked about like, well, he doesn't really get higher and lower. He doesn't get emotional. It's, it's like, I probably used to, but I'm just kind of numbed and, and trained to uh, adversity in a lot of ways because I've heard worse and I've seen worse, uh, but it's prepared me not only for winning a football game, but it's prepared me to be a better husband and, and, and have a better life. Where has he influenced you the most as a coach? He was a guy that always said, everyone after a game, they want to come back and say, you know what, we should have ran this play. Or on this time, we should have ran this play. Or you come back after a game and every coach says, well, you know what, we didn't block well enough. We didn't tackle well enough. We got to get back to the fundamentals. And his deal was like, why did you ever leave him? <laughs> why did you ever not do the fundamentals? Like, what, what were you practicing if you weren't practicing the fundamentals? So that's something that's always stuck with me as a coach was never leave the day one stuff. Never leave your fundamentals. We're going to spend 85, 90% of our time on the 85 and 90% of the things that we need to do to successfully play that football game. Instead of the one play that's in that week, we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing on what we do. And that, and just how we structure things, how we set up our meetings, just how indie kind of flows, uh, a lot of individual drills, a lot of that. When we look on it, it's like, oh, wow, that's, if you were a former Rick Trickett player and you watched one of our practices, you would say, oh yeah, that looks a lot like a Rick Trickett practice. And, and, and that would be the biggest compliment I could get from a former player. I would say philosophically, how you handle your players is probably not quite the Rick Trickett way, right? I mean, the, the old school, hard, not to say you're not demanding, but I'm saying there's a slightly different approach, I think. And you and Red, I think, share some of that as well. Why has that been your operational mode? Why does that work for you? How is it different? And why do you think maybe it is a better connectivity point with the players? If I have that right. Yeah, no, no, uh, that's very fair. And I think it goes back to what I said about Rick Trickett is as far as you need a coach to your personality. Guys are going to respect and play for you when you're real, when you are who you are. Two things we always say as coaching is, is as long as you can make a player better, and as long as the player knows you ultimately have their best interests or their back, you can usually coach a guy for the most part, however you want to coach him. So I do feel that I can give them tools to, to make them better. And I do know that our guys know that I have their back. So from there, I would like to think I can be me. 
But if I have to be more demanding, I will be more demanding. But at the same time, as a player, and this is just looking back at probably from playing for Rick Trick, it kind of what it kind of molded me in the other way of the fact of if you knew you had a bad block on a certain play, you knew you had a bad block on a certain play. It, it didn't take the coach cussing at you and saying, hey, why did you have a bad block on that play? I think I just try and be real with the guys and be open and be honest and have a real relationship. That doesn't mean we don't work. That doesn't mean we're not disciplined. That doesn't mean we we don't do things the right way. Doesn't mean that I'm not in charge. All those things still are very much true, but I am going to give those guys a voice. I am going to allow them to feel that they can speak freely if they're confused about something. It is going to be an environment to where we're going to make it to where they can learn the game. All those things are important to me. And I feel that sometimes as, as coaches, especially offensive line coaches, we look at linemen and, and, and you all, so you've seen how many, uh, you've seen this probably a lot at the University of Miami where there's this big four or five-star tackle or, or this lineman you bring in and he shows up on campus and he never plays. <laughs> and it's like the guy just like fades off into the smoke and you're like, man, how come that guy never played? He was really, really good. And, and sometimes that guy was just evaluated wrong. But a lot of times I think what happens are kids get in, they have these high expectations on who they are as people, who they are as players, and people want to judge who they are like, oh, well, he's not tough or oh, he's dumb, all those things. And I think as a coach, I've always tried to say, let's teach them the skill. Let's make sure they demonstrate that they know how to do the skill the right way. Let's make sure they've demonstrated that they know what's going on inside and out. And then once we've done that, once we've established those things, then let's start judging who they are ability-wise. Then let's start judging who they are as a person. Then let's start judging their manhood, uh, those type things. I think sometimes we can a kid too quickly because we want to make judgments about who they are instead of letting guys develop. Offensive linemen always say you really don't know what you have in an offensive lineman until their second spring ball. And that's when they really start to click and they start to figure it out. And they bloom a little bit later because it's such a technical position. So I've always tried to, to have an environment of learning, have an environment of guys knowing we got to work, but at the same time, understanding that diff people's learning curves are different. Speaking of learning, you were a PE teacher, a PE major, a physical education major with an emphasis on teaching. Is that correct? That's correct. So when you were done playing, were you destined to get into coaching or were you going to be a teacher? I know you'll say a coach is a teacher, but I mean literally in a classroom or were you destined to be a coach? I was destined to be a coach all the way. As a player, you know who you are, right? and, and some guys don't. But, but for the most part, you know if, if this is it. And I knew this was it for me. Not that I didn't try, but it's, at deep down, you know this is it. But I knew I didn't want to stop being involved uh, in the game. Uh, and I saw all the things that the game did for me. And, and I also see guys like Rick Trickett who came in every day and it didn't really look like they were working, even though they were working long hours and, and doing all those things. To me, it appealed as something that was very enjoyable as, as a job that was fun. But I'm very, very glad for those skills I learned in my education backgrounds because now you, it helps me structure in a practice plan. It helps me laying out the topics or how I need to present information in a meeting room. And, and it allows, it makes me a better coach because I have that way of presenting knowledge that I wouldn't have learned had I not had a background in education. You know, a lot of time coaches, the teaching aspect, I think benefits you or anyone else if they pursue it from that angle, because it's easy to say, I'm right, he's wrong. But at the end of the day, if you're a coach, your job is to get them to be right. Correct. And, and the other part of, of coaching is, it doesn't matter how much you know. There's only the only one thing matters. How much do they know? Correct. And the other thing that matters is first, as the offensive line coach, I'm allowed to have opinions and I work in a great environment where I can express those opinions. But at the end of the day, my job is to execute the plans and the will of Rhett Lashley many DS. And I think because as an offensive line coach, you have to put down your players. It doesn't matter if it's a pass protection or if it's a run play. It's our job to make it work. It's not about what we want to do. It's about we're entrusting our offensive coordinator in, in our case. They're entrusting me to give them the techniques and, and calls and, and necessary. They're entrusting Coach Diaz with the overall vision of the program. They're entrusting all of that, and we've got to trust that the plan's right. And uh, and vice versa, like I said earlier, we've got to be men and, uh, men enough as coaches to say, 
we were wrong when it doesn't work out. That's part of it. And there's also a lot of different ways to win football games. And it doesn't matter what, what the answers are as long as we all have the same answer. If all five of us handle a blitz a certain way and it gets picked up, then we picked it up the right way. But if half the guys are doing, doing one way and half the guys are doing another way, those three may be right and the other two may be right, but we're all wrong. That's the technical side of it that goes into it. But when it's all picked up and when a play comes together and, and a great things happen, I think it's very artistic from a point of view. You played for Rich Rodriguez, right? Yes. Was he at the forefront or was he doing things then that every, that a lot of people are doing now? And I know we're, we're sort of getting off course a little bit, but we're talking about philosophies and winning games. So, you know, Rich Rod ran his system and I'm not someone to sit here and tell you what that was, but it was not pro style, right? So how much of what he was doing then has come back around now or just kind of made its way and kind of spread? It's kind of interesting time because we were one of the first teams in the country our philosophy was snap the ball as fast as you can, spread offense, let's stretch the ball vertically and horizontally with the bubbles and the zone read and, and all those things. So he was very much, Coach Rodriguez and, and all of his coaches there were very much pioneers and a lot of what they started exists in a lot of college offenses today. And I think you have that on one side and then the middle of the country you have the air raid starting to come up. Those are two offenses who really the majority of offenses in college football have a wrinkle of that in what they do. Were you a believer? Like, were you like, whoa, yeah, I like this. I was a believer because I saw West Virginia teams who didn't have the talent or the ability of say a Miami team in 2003, almost upset a really, really good football team that we had no business playing with because we could keep them off balance with tempo and, and we could dictate good numbers because we spread out formations and, and we could run the quarterback, which gave us better box numbers. It's just like, like if you're fighting an army, it's uneven. You got to go guerrilla warfare. It's why military schools do option. Uh, it was a very similar deal. It's just, we were the other way of looking at it is as far as we want tempo, we want to spread out. And and he even defensively did that. I mean, you saw the the odd stack. Was he three three five? Right? Wasn't he three three five? He was three three five, and he was one of the first coaches that did the rugby punt. So everything he wanted to do was, in some way, shape, or form, it forced teams to prepare for us differently than what they would most teams. So who'd you block that night in two thousand three? Do you remember? Yeah, it was uh, Atkins, Brock Atkins, and then. Anytime I had combinations, it was Brian Pata. Uh, so I was fortunate that, that Will Fork was mostly no's. So I, I never, I rarely got in Will Fork land. So we had a freshman guard by the name of Dan Moses, who ended up by a senior year, won the Remington Award for best center in college football. He was a really good player, but he's a redshirt freshman. I remember the first play of the game. Dan's lined up across the room, and Dan gets into him a little bit. And um, he just starts talking smack to him. And we're all thinking, like, what are you doing? And the next play, like, Dan's like two and a half yards in the backfield on his back. And we didn't hear Dan the rest of the night. And I remember that you talk about like, when, you know, that night, I knew I would never play in the NFL because I'm on the backside trying to cut off DJ Williams. It's not happening. I'm trying to chase Sean Taylor down on the backside, the backside safety. It's not happening. I'm barely holding on. I'm hanging on for dear life. Those were some special talents on those teams. I mean, I just remember seeing Vilma with the Singletary eyes. You have Vilma and DJ Williams just on one side, and, and Pat and Will Fork, uh, Will Fork and his guys in the middle. And I think it was what Sean Taylor and Merriweather in the backfield. Was it Roll at one corner? And so they had a pretty good squad. So um, it was humbling.